Welcome to Get A Move On, the podcast for movement lovers who are fed up with their injuries and want to enhance their all-round health. On this podcast, I'll help you change how you think about pain and illness so you can drop the frustration and move freely. I'm Amy, an osteopath turned yoga teacher and mindset coach. On this pod, I'll be talking about the joys of pain, injury and illness, the mind-body connection and how they relate to our movement practice so you can get a move on. Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Get a Move On with Amy Slevin. Hey! Hey! As always, I'm Jamie Slevin and I'm helping to co-host the podcast. Amy, how are you? I'm alright, Jamie. How are you? I'm not bad, I'm not bad. What are we talking about today? Today we're turning shit to gold. Nice. Yeah. Just to clarify, we mean metaphoric shit to metaphoric gold. No, literal shit to literal gold. Oh, good work. Okay, everyone get your fertilizing kit out. It's going to be a good one. It's alchemy. <laughs> this might be a little bit brain confuzzling, I reckon, because obviously we like to consider shit shit, and we don't necessarily like to think that we can do anything else other than think of it as shit. But we're going to try and do that. It was a request from a listener. So thank you for the request. We appreciate it. You see, your wish is our command. Okay, Aim. so why is it so difficult to do this thing that we're about to try and explain how to do? Oof, why is it so difficult? I think we're basically in some way kind of polarized beings and we tend to think of things in extremis. And so we tend to think of like good things as only ever really good and so-called bad things as only ever really bad. But then what good and bad actually are are very subjective and dependent on the person who is perceiving it as good or bad. So for example, when in early 2020, that Iranian general was killed by the United States, people in the United States were rejoicing, yet people in Iran were commiserating and miserable. And so the same event was seen very differently by two different groups of people, depending on their perspective and their outlook. I mean, that's a real extreme example, but we all have examples like that in our own lives of things that happen that we're like, oh my God, that was amazing. Wow, so cool. And we're only conscious of the good stuff about it. Or we have something that we're like, oh my God, that was terrible. And we only see the bad stuff in it. And so basically turning shit to gold is when we have a supposedly bad thing and we try to look for the silver linings, the blessings, the lessons, all of the positive stuff, which sounds a bit trite really when you put it that way, but seeing it for how it is, not how we necessarily perceive it. Yeah, and there's two obvious challenges that emerge. The first one is stuff that's relevant here, i.e. the really bad stuff. We're not interested in balancing out or turning a very, very small amount of we into silver. For this to be useful psychologically, it's only relevant if there are the big psychological challenges. So almost by definition, you're signing yourself up to something that's difficult. These are things that are genuinely causing an immense amount of suffering. So that's the first thing, just the scale of the task. And I just want to say, there is a saying I've heard that goes something along the lines of anything that's worth doing is not easy. Yes, it's true. And like, it's irritating that that's true. It'd be lovely if the alternative was true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if actually like really easy stuff is massively gratifying, but this is where we are. So that's the first challenge. And the second challenge is, I think the way our brains work is we operate mainly in the world of positive confirmation. And 
Things that are bad, we constantly have new feedback as to why they're bad. And we're finding new angles, both consciously and subconsciously, as to why that's true. And then the opposite is true for stuff that's great. You know, something's brilliant and you sort of get a kick out of the fact it's great. So you want to sort of confirm it and you feel attached to it. And it's a source of psychological safety that it's so great. So I guess those are the challenges here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you put it so nicely. So, Amos, do you have any examples that are useful here for someone turning shit into gold in a way that's maybe instructive? Mm-hmm. You mean like a story? I mean like a story. Like a story. I would just like to recommend, if anyone feels like reading a book, there are two books that I really enjoy that kind of go into this in a slightly different way. One of them is The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. And the other one is The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. The title of the book just sums it all up. The obstacle is the way. And so whenever we're confronted by difficulty or adversity, we have a tendency to think, oh no, shit, that's bad. Avoid, avoid. When actually we're missing so much of the good stuff if we think about it that way. And if we really think about it, of various difficulties in our own lives that we've been through, obviously hindsight makes it a lot easier. But we do tend to come to a conclusion of like, okay, sometimes it can take a whole lifetime, sometimes it never happens, but sometimes it can take a few years or a few months or maybe a few weeks, or if you're really conscious about stuff, like a few days, or maybe (laughs) if you're really extra high level conscious, then it can do it in the moment, in the matter of seconds that you're there. So it's all about, yeah, just like seeing the hidden blessings and everything. And so I'm going to just go for my most obvious one, which is for me, I found osteopathy school really fucking hard. I found the pressure of osteopathy school really hard. I found a lot of the teachers pretty hard on us. And I thought that was really unhelpful at the time. So for example, we would get kind of like grilled on certain things and almost expected to know the answers to stuff that I was like, how how am I ever going to know what that is? And I feel like such a dick and such an idiot. And I feel so inept because I don't know the answer to this question. And I'm being like humiliated in front of my patient and I'm being undermined in front of my patient. That's really fucking unhelpful. Thanks, clinic tutor. And I would like often leave clinic thinking, fucking hell, like, never want to do this ever again. (laughs) What was the emotional quality of that period of your life when it was shit? Let's shit out this shit. Why was it so shit? (laughs) It was so shit because lads compound it all together, shall we? So first of all, like my sister had died in the first year of osteopathy school. Okay. So I was in a slightly shitty emotional place because of that. And then a couple of other things had happened in my life that I will talk about in another time. And so I was dealing with a lot of stuff in my own life and then trying to absorb information and help other people just felt impossible. And then being grilled about a particular condition or a particular thing in front of a patient or in front of my fellow students also was just like really, really hard. And just like being expected to come up with answers to questions that I might have known the answers to, I don't know, was just like hard. And then like essays upon essays upon essays upon clinic work upon clinic work upon essays, I was just like, this is just not possible. It was just too much. 
like in the fourth year, there was even more clinic work. We had the pressure of the final exams and like so many bloody essays. <laughs> and then like miniature essays on top of, and in addition to the other essays and everything else, I was just like, fuck me. <sighs> and it's worth fleshing this out. Like that feeling of emotional overwhelm when you've got work to do, be it like schoolwork here or job work. It's the one where you stub your toe and you call someone a prick because... You're so overwhelmed and you're so frustrated. So this is sounding shit. Okay, consider this shitted out. Oh, amazing. Okay, cool. That was my purge. Thanks for listening. Let's turn it into gold. So obviously this didn't happen overnight. I should just say that. But basically, having had that experience of the pressure of having to create all of that stuff and work on all of that stuff and deal with my own stuff and help other people was actually phenomenal training for my current life. So now I'm creating blog posts and Instagram posts. And I actually left osteopathy school thinking I never want to write anything ever again. And here I am now churning out Instagram posts, blog posts, articles, all sorts of stuff all the time. And it feels relatively natural. Question. Why specifically was the fact it was so shit and difficult, helpful in your new life where you're having to make these skills work for you? Because I was trained in delivering stuff to a time schedule, having to also incorporate lots of other stuff at the same time. It was time management training. It was priorities training. It was learning where to give my focus, what to give a shit about, what not to give a shit about, and not to be a perfectionist on certain things. And know that you're kind of offering the relevant information. So for example, in the final year, we had to write these kind of like, I think 500 word little kind of mini essays or something like that. And doing that, even at the time, I was so resentful of them. I was like, this is bullshit. Why do we have to do this? This is so rubbish. But now I'm like, you know what? Thank you, actually, because that's what I do every day now by choice because I've had the training of sitting down and just fucking creating. So imagine now, same deal, but these skills actually, you're now doing something totally different. And the skills that you learned during the hard time have not been helpful. So all you're left with actually is the experience of the adversity itself. How is that piece of the puzzle helpful? Well, I think if that's the case, then probably there is some stuff that is not conscious that needs to be made conscious, if that makes any sense. So if someone is thinking, this hasn't given me any life skills or whatever, it's probable that they're not seeing what life skills they have acquired as a result of that time. Yeah, and even without necessarily doing the digging to find out, I think one of the nice things about adversity, and I use the word nice kind of tongue-in-cheek, because the nice thing about adversity is it feels very lofty talking about it post-fact, you know, but at the time it was fucking shit and you wished it would stop. You know, like sometimes you chat to friends about ex-girlfriends or ex-boyfriends and it's a little bit like, oh, like we could go again and it might be great and like all this suffering associated. Maybe like it's worth the suffering, you know, it's very poetic. Try that level of suffering for you. are like, no, whoa, fuck that, I'm out. And I think the problem about suffering is in the moment it sucks, which is why secretly adversity can be cool. Because once you've done something incredibly difficult, without poo-pooing the fact that it's incredibly difficult, you kind of know you can do it again. And if you've had really scary and alien moments of, I don't know what this is, 
this is terrifying. I'm uncertain it will ever resolve. And you've kind of got through that somehow. You just muddled your way through by crook. When it comes back again, you just have a little bit more, if nothing else, certainty that it's not a permanent experience, which if you've done any meditation ends up being the thing they bang on about the most. Yeah. And I'm going to go for a real extreme example here. In Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl, if you don't know who he is, was in Auschwitz for, oh, I can't remember how long, a few years, and obviously survived and wrote a book about his experiences of Auschwitz. Basically, he says that having had the experience in Auschwitz, obviously it was hellish, and he says repeatedly it was absolute hell on earth, but he says like it gave people a sense of purpose in a way. And the people who did survive came out with like a new lust for life and an appreciation for kind of the small things, things that they took for granted before were now like immense sources of joy. And they felt huge connection with the people around them. You know, if they lost loads of people in their families, they had connection with the people that they had been through that experience with, which is really valuable. Suicide rates go down during wars almost always. And the reason, at least in the case of World War II in the UK, which is the one that's the most research has been done on, is all of a sudden, life becomes something that you like are conscious of as being something that's frail and can go. And in this sort of backward kind of way becomes this resource you're now lusting after and have an appreciation for. I mean, the case of someone being in a concentration camp and having a new lust for life afterwards is obviously an extreme example, but people speak all the time about near-death experiences and the way the near-death experiences change them. So yeah, it's obvious on one level that people really do go through difficult experiences and the adversity is good for them going forward. What advice would you have for people who are going through something incredibly difficult and think, shit, I would quite like to turn that into gold as opposed to shit. I would like to have some appreciation. I would like to have some new life skills. Where do you start? I think one of the simplest things to ask is, what have I learned about myself or life so far since I've been going through this experience? So looking for ways in which you've learned from it, because that I think just kind of sets the wheels in motion a little bit. So what kind of understandings about yourself have you gained and what has it enabled you to do that you may not have otherwise done? And that sometimes is a little bit challenging because people are like, well, it hasn't let me do the stuff that I love to do. It's got in the way of me doing stuff that I love to do. I get that. And it's true. Like sometimes that does happen. But what has it enabled you to do instead? Have you gained any new social connections? Have you experienced new support from different people or even the same people, like an increase of support in various people? Have you felt more loved by certain people as a result? If you've lost people in your life, are you better off without those particular people, for example? Yeah, and it's worth saying here, like the background assumption me and Amy are running with, I guess, is that when we experience adversity or sad or bad or depressed or anxious, it's because there's this internal calculator saying that this thing has got more drawbacks than benefits. That's what it is to be sad. That is what it is to feel loss. And the point is these experiences bring you stuff. It's just you sometimes have to look. Yeah, it's not easy. You know, there have been times when I've had a shitty situation happen. And it's funny how like often in those moments, I'm like, I don't want to see the good stuff right now. I just want to be fucking pissed off right now. And that's fine, right? There's a place for that. You know, there's a place to be pissed off and just kind of like 
purge almost. And that purge is kind of healthy because you're not hanging on to shit. You're not like storing that stuff in your body. It's like, if it's a rant or whatever, or crying or whatever it is. But then there is a time to sit down and think, okay, how has this been serving me? And what happens if you can do that process successfully? What happens if you go from this thing was shit to, no, 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 I see that I lost people, but actually in the same moment, I gained people. I became close to this person. This hurt physically, but actually I got this relief physically. Once you've done that balancing act and you've kind of done some digging and changed your actual perception of what's gone on, it's also worth just interluding here. And I, that's why I love this as a process. Pain really is, and we've spoken about this before, what you make of it. People who were shot in the foot and got to go home from the war felt less pain subjectively, physical pain. And this is effectively the process of, I guess, changing the meaning, quite like the bullet in the foot was nice because you got to go home. This is about changing the meaning of the bad thing that's happened. So say you do a decent job at that. You've caught the car. Where are you left? Well, I guess the ultimate aim is the G word, gratitude, and arriving at a place where you have a little tear of gratitude in your eye where you're like, holy shit, I never thought about it like that before. And literally there is a little tear of gratitude in your eye that is the moment of gold. Well, it's kind of the moment of gold, but then you can go kind of several steps further. So gratitude is like obviously the ultimate goal, but then you could, for example, really capitalize on whatever it is. So for example, I'm now capitalizing on my shit by using my experiences, all the crap that I've been through to help other people. And that I think is the ultimate, ultimate goal, using it to transform the lives of other people. Going on to then pay it forward is I think fantastic. And I'm very grateful <laughs> that I'm able to do that. Yeah, it's interesting. And we should talk about finding purpose through adversity and the relationship of victimhood. Well, there is so much amazing stuff that has been created as a result of people going through some shit. So for example, a lot of art is created by people who've had some sort of tragedy in their life. Capoeira, for example, was created in Brazil by slaves who obviously were not having the best time of life because they were slaves, but they created capoeira as a means to keep themselves strong and kind of disguise their kind of strength building, kind of self-defense type strength building as a dance. So it has that kind of cool creative element plus the really strength bodily amazingness. If they hadn't been in those shitty situations, there would be no capoeira. Like Bob Dylan, so much music, Amy Winehouse, like all of that stuff came from difficult emotional experiences. Yeah, and art is the best possible example. Good art is all about the human experience. And the human experience is necessarily wound in with suffering. And like so much of like brilliant art and brilliant film gets the balance right with adversity and challenge and overcoming. And that is sort of the human condition and the human story. So I love the idea of Bob Dylan and the idea of capoeira emerging from suffering because that's all art is. It's an expression of the human form and lo and behold, the human form is necessarily something that's wound up in suffering. Yeah. And if those people were having like a super nice life, there would be no art. There would be no capoeira. There would be no Amy Winehouse. You know, there would be no Bob Dylan. And the most phenomenal stuff just would not exist. And it's worth saying, the thing that makes it phenomenal is the presence of suffering. Absolutely. Because otherwise it has no meaning. Yeah, Ames, and I want to talk about post-traumatic growth. Because this is a phrase that's mentioned a fair bit, but I actually don't know what it means. Oh, 
Okay, well, post-traumatic growth is basically when someone has been through some kind of tough, shitty experience, you could call it trauma, and they do some therapy of some kind. And at the end of that therapy, or kind of like in the process of that therapy, they come out with various different things. So one of those things is a greater appreciation for life. And Viktor Frankl in (laughs) Man's Search for Meaning discusses these things. A changed sense of priorities, a new set of priorities, a new set of values, a new set of things that you really enjoy and prioritize in your life. You can also have warmer and more intimate relationships. You can connect with people on a different level. I think it can give you a real sense of empathy when you've been through something that if you haven't been through that, you just aren't able to relate to people in a particular way. So having gone through some kind of experience actually enables you to share stuff with other people. Yeah. And whenever people do go through really shit stuff and they come out on the other side, the one thing they talk about is how much they grew through the experience. That's the universal thing. Because the experience forces you to grow by nature of the experience. It's something that was out of your comfort zone by a significant margin. And you have to process and you have to work with. It's like lifting a really heavy weight and coming out on the other side. Yeah, and it gives you like a much greater sense of resilience and your own personal strength. And I remember a friend of mine who many years ago, he was like 26. He would basically not had any kind of difficulty or tragedy in his life and then I mean this is quite a big one but like his ex-girlfriend was killed in a car accident and because he'd never been through any kind of difficult time of his life it completely threw him off course and he was just like disproportionately affected by this thing because he'd never had any preparation leading up to this and so it just you know really through him so much whereas a few sort of like smaller difficult experiences in your life actually make you a lot more resilient than if you didn't have any at all the interesting thing is that when you said that until he was 26 he had no real tragedy that took me a little bit by surprise because i think of tragedy as being something that everyone basically goes through prior to that and the fact that that caught me by surprise basically shows the inevitability of it too it's like god if this thing's gonna happen and it basically happens to everyone And frequently too. I mean, everyone you know, including yourself, is going to get ill and die. Things change all the time. Our attachments are constantly shown up as ridiculous and things that are not things you should attach to because they change so frequently and so suddenly. And life constantly makes a mockery out of our plans. So with post-traumatic growth, you get a recognition of new possibilities or paths for your life and opportunity for spiritual development, which sounds like fairies and stuff no but it's like more about enlightenment and appreciation for new and different stuff and the whole growth thing i think is about just little moments of enlightenment throughout your life where you appreciate things in a new way yeah i think the difficulty with spiritual growth and you're right is spiritual sounds very woo and there is an element of it that's very woo but probably the most and this is very grounded all of a sudden the most spiritual kind of growth is the type of growth that just comes from growing as a human being through adversity. And it really is the case that adversity is the thing that makes you grow. And I think you can see people whose lives have been, at least superficially, appear to be super cushy, super comfortable, super without challenge. And you see they pay the price for that. And they've inevitably lives that are slightly less exciting or when challenge does arise, it's totally overwhelming in quite a disproportionate way. Like this guy whose tragedy first struck when he was 26. But the whole point about this is, it's really so much about how we choose to see stuff. 
obviously there is a time when this is obviously the case. We could choose to see things as purely negative and kind of feel like a victim. And that feeling like a victim is just like so delicious. You're like, oh my God. It's like, none of this is my fault. <laughs> I can blame everyone around me. I want to be a victim. And there's a time and a place for that. But ultimately, it doesn't serve you in the long term because it's not empowering, even though it feels powerful when you're in it, because you kind of almost have a sense of like moral superiority in that kind of state of victimhood. But ultimately, you're still keeping yourself small in a way, and you're not enabling yourself to move forward and move beyond this experience. You're kind of essentially choosing to hold on to it for however long you're choosing to hold on to it. And I've done the same thing. I'm not like judging people who have done that. I've done the same thing. And I guess from time to time, I still do it. Like if I have like a minor upset or if I have an argument with the boyfriend, I'm like, it's all his fault. I had nothing to do with this. I'm choosing to be a victim of the argument, whatever. But then when I really sit and look at it, I'm like, okay, actually, so yeah, I did provoke him. I poked him a little bit and no wonder he reacted that way. <laughs> it helps you learn so much when you do open your mind to different possibilities. And then you're not trapped in this sense of woe is me. And you can actually then go and do amazing stuff without being held down by this weight of trauma and tragedy. Yeah. And it's an important point to make because that is something that feels really nice about being a victim. It's delicious. Yeah. Delicious is kind of the right word. And it's why it's kind of nice to be angry. Not that I've massively had this experience, but being angry at an ex is really preferable to being sad oh yeah sad sucks because you actually have to face it for sure you can get your taylor swift on and just do the whole like angry single thing <laughs> yeah like she's another example of someone who's turning her own tragedies into gold right literally maybe platinum she's turning it into platinum <laughs> and i think it's something of a sum up if tragedy and suffering is so inevitable we all know it's so inevitable and such a big part of what constitutes the human experience at some level, you just have to go, God, it's going to be worth addressing this and seeing how these experiences, which are totally inevitable, can actually serve me in practical and very tangible ways. And that is, I guess, the essence of turning shit into gold. There's an element I think you have to be ready to do it. And even though it doesn't feel like you have a choice necessarily, it is a choice, but you do have to be ready. Brilliant. Ames, I think that's a great place to leave it. All right. Well, thanks. Ames, thanks for that. And everyone, thank you for listening to Get to Move On with Amy Slevin as we've spoken a little bit around the process and mechanics of turning shit into gold. As always, we'll see you next week. Woo! That was Get to Move On with Amy Slevin. If you enjoyed that, we'll be back next week with a slightly different topic. And if you didn't enjoy that, we'll be back next week with a slightly different topic. Thanks for listening.